Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. The opponent preview series rolling on here. Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen talking Jets Seahawks in week 14. And we spoke to Joe Fan, who's the Seahawks insider for NBC Sports Northwest out in Seattle. And EA, this game, yes, it's difficult, but it also marks the first game of a pretty difficult stretch for the Jets as they only have four more games at this point in the season when they cross paths with the Seahawks. Yeah, and we were just talking about it before we started taping, is that this is a stretch where the Jets will finish with three of four on the road. A West Coast back-to-back pair, starting with the Seahawks, then follow that up with the game against the Rams, and we'll have to see if the green and whites stay out there out West to practice for a week before coming home for a week and then ending the season against the New England Patriots. So what you'd like to do if you're the Jets is make some headway early in the season. Seattle traditionally has been one of the toughest places to play in the National Football League. CenturyLink Field gets so loud there. And one of the primary reasons is that it's so tough to play is Russell Wilson is unbelievable. (laughs) I mean, you're just, I can't believe he's been in the National Football League eight years already, but 86, 41, and one as a starter, 65% passer throughout the course of his career. He's thrown for almost 30,000 yards with 227 touchdowns and just 68 interceptions. Last year, he was the guy who kept the Seahawks afloat. They almost were the NFC's top overall seed. And if they got that, would they have been the team representing the NFC in the Super Bowl? Bottom line is you got Pete Carroll coaching. You have Russell Wilson at quarterback. You have a pair like that. You're always going to have a chance to win the whole thing. It almost feels like, and maybe I'm wrong here, so please correct me if you feel otherwise, but it almost feels like Russell Wilson out east maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves I feel like a lot of people think yes Russell Wilson's a great quarterback and then you see him in person and you're like oh my god this guy this guy's probably a little better than we had originally thought and I think the same thing goes for the Seahawks overall because it feels like the Seahawks are that team that's always in the playoff mix well to your point what you just said the Seahawks were almost the NFC's number one seed overall and that division is so tough and it just feels like it almost feels like the Seahawks don't get the proper credit that they deserve. And I'm curious if you feel the same or you think I'm going a little bit crazy. Uh, I don't think you're going crazy. I, I think that when we're going to talk about the NFL's top quarterbacks, I guess it should start with Patrick Mahomes. But if you look at Russell Wilson, what he's done over the course of his eight years, and he's won one championship, very nearly two. We know what Malcolm Butler did taking that Super Bowl away uh, from the Seahawks when they did not run Marshawn Lynch, and it's going to be talked about forever. But, yeah, he's as good as any passer in this league, bottom line. And the Seahawks have been consistent winners, but that just shows you how hard it is to win in this league. 
the ultimate prize because Russell Wilson's been fantastic for eight years and he's only got one title. And I say only that just speaks to how difficult it is to ultimately bring home a championship. Think of Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers is now in his mid thirties and he's got one ring. It is tough to bring home that hardware, no doubt about it. But yeah, uh, for my money, Russell Wilson is as good as anybody, and I'd put e- even Mahomes in that mix. I'm not saying he can make the plays that Mahomes can, but think about what he did last year. 66% passer, more than 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, and five interceptions. So not only is he a prolific passer, but he does not turn the football over ever. He doesn't turn it over, and they had offensive line problems last year. Yeah, the Jets have a difficult matchup on defense going to Seattle and trying to stop Russell Wilson. And we'll talk about that. But first, let's hear from Joe Fan to give us an in-depth look at this Jets-Seahawks matchup. Obviously, this team starts with Russell Wilson. But what do you make about the entire team that the Seahawks have entering 2020? Well, like you mentioned, when you have a franchise quarterback, especially one like Russell Wilson, who, you know, in my opinion, is a top three quarterback in this league, your ceiling or sorry, your floor is higher than most other teams just right off the bat. Right. I mean, you kind of start at eight and eight and he's able to win you just so many games on his own. And you've seen that, especially last year with how many one score games they played. And it's just Russell Wilson magic in the fourth quarter. He almost did it in week 17 to win the division against the Niners. Then he almost did it again in the second half of the divisional round against the Packers. So this guy is just a special, special talent. I think we all know that at this point, but there are a ton of questions about the Seahawks, namely about what's going on, on defense, particularly with the pass rush. This is a defense that generated just 28 sacks last year, tied for second worst in the NFL. Now they lost Jadavian Clowney. So they have a bunch of numbers back, right? They added a bunch of people to the roster. Um, but are those guys going to be enough, right? When you don't have that true number one premier guy, they have Bruce Irvin, they signed Benson Mayo and two of those guys had like a combined 15 sacks last year, which sounds really good on paper, but can they replace Jadavian Clowney? They used a second-round pick on Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee. Um, what's he going to look like as a rookie coming out of the gate? But they're going to expect some big things from him. So they have names that are, are maybe intriguing as part of a collective and a rotation. But I think, by and large, when you look at a pass rush, you look for that one guy who can go get you 8-10. to 10. Uh, Now, Clowney only got three last year, and I think people are looking at that. Like, how could you pay him? He only got three sacks. Well, the guy had zero help, right? And so – um, you know, I think you, you look at his game, you have to take it with a little bit of grain of salt when you look at the numbers, given just how dominant he was and you turn on the tape. So, um, you know, I think they had issues in the secondary. They, they traded for Quentin Dunbar, who's going through uh, some legal troubles right now on uh, the alleged armed robbery that took place in, uh, in Florida with uh, alongside, uh, allegedly alongside Giants defensive back DeAndre Baker. So, Again, you can go to all three levels and, uh, you know, the Seahawks defense and say, okay, there are some names you might like and some reasons for optimism. But um, given the struggles the team had last year on that side of the football, I think it's fair to say those struggles might remain in 2020. Well, this team was right there, step for step with the San Francisco 49ers last year. They could have been the number one seed in the entire NFC. Do you think, since they do have Russell Wilson? And he is as valuable to that team as anybody in any at any club in the National Football League. There's no doubt about that. But can this team expect to be right there with the 49ers again? Or do you think 
it's conceivable to see them take a step back in 2020. I think it's conceivable, but, you know, given how many close games they play, it's really hard to judge, right? I mean, this is one of the teams that if they play the best team in the league, it's going down to the wire. They play the worst team in the league, it's going down to the wire. That's just how it goes with this team right now. It was pretty much every game last year. Even games that got big leads against Matt Schaub uh, uh, and the Falcons. Uh, the Falcons came back and had a chance to, to potentially tie that game uh, at, the, uh, at the end of the fourth quarter. The Panthers game um against Kyle Allen uh an absolute blowout in the first half and the Panthers score a couple of late touchdowns and all of a sudden they've got the ball down one score um so uh, again it's this team is it's so Jekyll and Hyde in terms of I guess the results are consistent but it, it varies based on who they're playing like you know there's no guarantee that that they you know keep up with the Niners but it's also I think unfair to assume they're going to take a step back given what they did against the Niners just last year so um, the Niners are probably a status quo team, if not a tick better. And I think the Seahawks are probably in the same boat. But again, when you have Russell Wilson, man, he's just so special and he makes things happen. And, you know, Pete Carroll, um, the best thing he does is he's a great leader of men in terms of building culture. And that is a team that, that never says die. And no matter what the scoreboard says at halftime or the third quarter or even the fourth quarter, they believe they've got a chance to come back and win. They've done it on so many occasions. And so, um, you know, I talked to one Niners coach last year saying, you know, before the week 10 game saying, you, know, you guys are rolling, you guys should, should feel good about this. Right. And, you know, he was like, absolutely not. I mean, the special thing about this Seahawks team is they don't roll over. They keep fighting. Right. And he, he referenced the Browns game. They played early in the year where you get up a couple of touchdowns, they roll over, call it a day. You put your foot on the gas and the game's over. And it's a boat race from there where the Seahawks just don't have that approach. And uh, it's very admirable. It's very tough to do um, to have that sort of mental strength from a, from a, you know, entire team standpoint, but, um, it is really hard to judge and estimate where this team is going to be and where it's going to finish uh, this upcoming season. Joe, what did defenses do well last year to try and contain Russell Wilson? Perhaps something that defensive coordinator Greg Williams could take a page out of their book to try to maintain and contain Russell Wilson in his home stadium. Man, I think that's a tough question because I don't know if there's a simple answer, right? Because when you feel like you've got things taken care of and things break down, that's arguably when Russell Wilson's at his best. Right. And so, um, you know, the scramble drill is such as has been such a weapon for him and the Seahawks offense to where, you know, you look at the second half of the Packers game and um, I mean, it's just rush. It's, it's, it's like, you know, I don't want to take all the credit away from, or give him all the credit and take it away from, you know, Brian Schottenheimer and the, and the rest of the offense. But it, it just seemingly was like, there was a switch that was flipped where Russ goes under center and says, we're just going to make it work. And it feels like even if you're containing him for a bit, at some point that switch flips and it just, and it just starts to go for whatever reason. Right. And so, um, you know, I think obviously trying to contain him to limit the scramble drill, uh, to understand that in the secondary that, you know, just because you cover the initial route doesn't mean your job is over. Right. It's the same storylines we've been hearing for a year after a year. I mean, he's eight years in now and, you know, I still think I think everyone kind of assumed at the beginning, this is a gimmicky guy who, you know, the NFL is going to figure out. Well, again, we're going into year nine and no one's been able to do it yet. What's the best way of attacking this defense? You mentioned the acquisition of Quentin Dunbar in the offseason and the struggles for the Seahawks getting to the quarterback last season. And that might continue into next year when you think about 
the Jets coming across the country with Sam Darnold because this is a very accurate quarterback when he's given time to throw. And in years past, we thought about the Legion of Boom and Bobby Wagner. Well, that secondary is totally different than what people thought of years ago. It really depends, obviously, on, on how much the pass rush can improve, but also the secondary. I mean, there were so many busts last year where they did not have a free safety they trusted. And then Quandre Diggs came in as a midseason trade acquisition who did make a big difference. And so, you know, you look at the beginning of the year, this is a cover three defense. They were playing a lot of cover two last year. And with that, Bobby Wagner was less aggressive than he normally was, wasn't able to read, diagnose, and react and fire his gun the way he wanted to and take some chances because he was responsible for the deep middle so often. And so he got exposed in coverage quite a bit because he was in coverage so much to a degree in which he hadn't done before. And so, um, you know, the run defense was hit and miss because of that, right? Again, it just when you look at the tape last year, you just don't see the aggressiveness. You don't see the speed. You don't see, um, you know, the, the ability to get to the football and close and make plays to the degree you saw in years before. I mean, so many chunk plays to where it was really a bend but don't break. Pete Carroll on a number of occasions called it this kind of rope-a-dope type defense where, you know, you make just enough plays to squeak out, and that's what they did last year. They had forced a lot of turnovers. I think they were second and third, second or third in the league in takeaways, um, which is really what saved them because they were so poor, you know, both really against the pass and the run. There was no level last year where they really excelled outside of forcing turnovers. And again, if you can guarantee you can replicate that and force the same number of takeaways in 2020 – I do believe it really it mitigates the number of yards you give up because it doesn't really matter, right? If you're holding teams out of the end zone and the red zone and you're able to force turnovers, you can give up 600 yards a game and you're going to win. But I think we all know that, that turnovers are, are somewhat of a luck-based stat um, to where it's hard to count on those coming in bunches like they did for the Seahawks last year. Joe, on the offensive side of the ball, what do you make of the supporting cast around Russell Wilson? Obviously, we think of like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and Rashad Penny and Chris Carson, but you can correct me if I'm wrong here. That's a pretty banged up backfield entering 2020. And what's the depth at receiver like? Yeah, I honestly think Russell Wilson's got a fantastic group of weapons. I think the biggest question mark is what's the offensive line going to look like? Dwayne Brown was banged up pretty much all of last year. There's going to be a competition at left guard with Mikey Upati, um, Phil Haynes, uh, Chance Warmack Mac might get involved, uh, a guy who was out of the league last year but is trying to re uh, you know reemerge in the NFL and, and resurrect his career. At center, they signed B.J. Finney, um, who looks like a nice upside guy. They really – they balled on a budget, if you will, to remake this offensive line with B.J. Finney uh, at center. They used a third-round pick. Damian Lewis at LSU is going to be a plug-and-play starter, which potentially could be great, potentially will not be. We have no idea, right? Uh, and then at right tackle, Brandon Shell, a guy you guys know well. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, really swapping tackles with George Fant going to the, the Jets and Brandon Shell coming to right uh, the Seahawks in right tackle, where, again, probably a replacement-level guy. Even if he's just kind of a status quo from Jermaine Effetti, you can live with that, right? Um, but I think, you know, the skill players, I think you have Chris Carson, who's looking really healthy right now. He just posted a video on his Instagram of him working out. Should be totally good to go coming off that hip injury. He didn't need surgery, which is good news. Rashad Penny will be out. I would imagine, uh, you know, the first half of the year, if not really taking a redshirt year, which is why they signed Carlos Hyde, a guy who will eat up carries, will get yards. You kind of know what you're going to get. But uh, in the passing game, they have Greg Olson, who uh, was banged up a bit last year, but showed he can still play some good football. You have Will Disley, who you hope, um, can can get back to uh, 100% to where this guy's a touchdown machine. He just has had two really unfortunate flukes season-long 
mega injuries. So again, you can't count on it, but with the tandem of uh, Greg Olson, you just need one of those guys to be out there and, and making plays for you. They also had a fourth round pick Colby Parkinson at a Stanford, who I think is a really intriguing guy at six, seven that receiver. I think Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are uh, one of the more unsung receiver tandems in the NFL. Tyler Lockett, in my opinion, is the most underrated player on the Seahawks and DK Metcalf exceeded most people's expectations um, as a rookie in 2019. Then you have Philip Dorsett um, and some other guys uh, fighting for that number three job. So I do think there are plenty of pieces there. Again, obviously health permitting, um, but Russell Wilson should have no problem uh, in the passing game. We're seeing teams go through different exercises right now as far as how their home games are going to look in 2020. A lot of teams saying they have models for 15% capacity, 33% capacity, 50% capacity. The 12th man is so important out there. You grew up in Seattle. You know that better than anybody, Joe. If that happens as far as limited seating or maybe possibly no fans, what would the difference be for a team like the Seahawks? I think it would be immense, you know, and Pete Carroll would uh, assuredly say, well, that's why we treat every game like a championship opportunity. And whether you're at home, whether you're on the road, whether it's a preseason game, whether it's a Super Bowl, whether they're a packed stadium of screaming fans, whether there's no fans, it's still 60 minutes and 100 yards, all these things, right? But it does. I mean, everyone knows that fans play such an, a factor in the emotional standpoint for a home team in front of their own guys. You know, if you're a defensive lineman and you've got the fans roaring and you're ready to go, right? I mean, it's it changes everything. There's a reason why your blood gets going on game day compared to practice, right? Or why, you know, teams love to have fans out at practice to where it gives it a little bit of a buzz that gets you through the monotony of what practice is. And so it would be immense. It would be a huge impact on the Seahawks, whether that, you know, how many wins that equates to who knows, but you know, I think they'd be lying to themselves and uh, I don't think they would, you know, try to say it means nothing, but you know, certainly mitigate it and say, we'll be just fine. But um, you know, I think any team that's coming in to Seattle will say, no, yeah, we're not going to argue with the fact that CenturyLink field's empty right now. EA, let's pick up where we left off with Russell Wilson. How should Greg Williams and this Jets defense go about stopping number three? Man, I don't know. I, I agree with Joe Fan. I don't know if there's an answer is that he's going to make his plays, but it, where he's really deadly is when he escapes contain and he gets out there running because then you're stuck in no man's land. Do you come up and play the run? Or is he just buying time in that split second where you're taking a look at Russell Wilson on the move? Somebody's running by you. And we just talked about Metcalf and Lockett. They just added Philip Dorsett to the mix. Greg Olson has been one of the better tight ends in the National Football League over the course of the last 10 years, over the course of the last decade. I know he's at the end of his run, but he's another guy who provides a red zone threat and an under. Brian Schottenheimer, the former Jets offensive coordinator, this team has been very committed to the run. So I kind of think you got to make them one dimensional. It's just too bad because that dimension is awesome <laughs> with Russell Wilson throwing, <laughs> throwing the football. You know, you don't want to have them have that balance attack where I see Greg Williams having an advantage in this game is up front. I think the Jets are better up front when you match them up man-for-man defensive line against that offensive line, and they got to get after Wilson. While he is very mobile, 
mobile, he does get sacked a lot. Last time, last year, 48 sacks. So that means three a game. Maybe the Jets can get in there four, five, you hope six times, things like that. But um, yeah, it's an awfully tough task. And when you go play Seattle, you got to score points offensively. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Jets are going to have to be very stout up front defensively, but good news for the Jets. That was their mantra last year. We've talked about it a number of times, number two in the NFL against the run, and that Seahawks offensive line has a bunch of moving pieces entering this season. And let's switch to the Jets offense here. We kind of talked about it with Joe Fan, but where do you see this Jets offense having success or if you're game planning against this defense – you're pinpointing a couple places for this unit to try to attack. Well, what is the secondary? He just mentioned Bobby Wagner. Uh, Joe just mentioned Bobby Wagner, and, and the immediate thought for me was Bobby Wagner dropping so far in coverage and you're taking him out of that impact he's having in the box. So I immediately thought of Chris Herndon and stretching that seam down the field and maybe Bobby Wagner's got to help that secondary so they're not exposed. And does that help the underneath of the field for you in terms of guys like Jamison Crowder and Le'Veon Bell? The other thing is with this revamped offensive line, Becton and McGovern and, and Van Roden, these guys all very good run blockers. I, I know we're talking about Becton from his days at Louisville, but Early on in his career, you figure he's going to be more ahead as far as run blocking is concerned. And McGovern just comes over from Denver, where Philip Lindsay had back to back a thousand yard seasons. Van Roden was the Carolina Panthers' most consistent blocker last year. So, can the Jets get it going on the ground? And then I see them on the outside. Uh, having some maybe success uh, having some success against that secondary who Joe said had a lot of coverage busts last year for me it's all about containing Bobby Wagner because he is the guy is the lifeblood of that defense and if you can somehow take him out of action there are holes that you can take advantage of all right well that was another edition of the official Jets podcast Powered by Amazon Web Services, the opponent series, staying out west for the Jets' third and final trip on the Pacific Coast as the Jets take on the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs>